Well, this morning we're going to continue our study that we're, we're calling Gifted Kids. And what we're, we're, we're doing is we're, we're going to do a study of spiritual gifts. And, and, and we're, we're building a foundation so that we can build a building. Okay, I, 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 I said this earlier. I heard this uh, off TV. I wish I had come up with it, but I didn't. But you can't build a, you can't, uh, you can't build a, a strong building on a chicken house foundation. You you have to have a solid foundation. And very often in in the studies that I've been a part of with spiritual gifts, we just bailed into them and started talking about what the gifts were and how the gifts are used instead of really understanding the context of why. Jesus gave us spiritual gifts. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, we're trying to build a context. We're trying to build a foundation so that we can embrace those gifts, we can express those gifts, and we can experience them. I mean, that's, that's what the church was supposed to do. God has empowered us to change the world, all right? He's given us the gospel to take out. To, to proclaim, but he's also given us the gospel to demonstrate. And the spiritual gifts give us the ability to demonstrate the gospel when we proclaim it. And so we, we, we're going we're gonna to spend a, a, a couple of more weeks on the foundational issues, and then we're going we're gonna to bail off into the gifts. Uh, week before last, we talked about the context of the gifts. And, and today I want to talk about the environment. What is the environment that uh, that God has given us for spiritual gifts? Most of you all understand what a, an environment is. It's the surrounding or conditions in which a person or an animal or a plant lives and, and operates in. It, we, we live in an environment. We call our environment planet Earth. All right. We know God originally created this environment, and it provides everything that we need to sustain life without anything additional, without anything artificial, or with any without any external assistance. We we don't have to. In other words, we don't need special suits to live here. We don't need a breathing apparatus to live here. When God created this planet, it was designed specifically to give us life. And so we could function in it. We could, we could live in it. We could grow in it. We could do all the things that we need to do in it and not have to worry about it. So our, our environment is perfectly suited for our existence. And, and, and human beings and, and all the other creatures that live on this planet, plants and animals, they thrive in an environment where the air is fresh, where the soil is untainted, where the water is clean, and where the warmth of the sun is perfectly regulated. You put those four things together and life springs up. It thrives. But if one of those basic elements is, is out of whack, that's the way I put it. If it gets out of balance, you know what? We don't thrive. Things start to get sick. And eventually... Life disappears. If one of those basic elements disappears, our, our environment is in trouble because our environment is our existence. Okay? It, it's, it, it keeps us alive. It, it's our life. It's, it's not something additional. It's not something separate. Literally, it's a part of who we are. Okay? God didn't make us separate from our environment. That's one of the reasons we need to take care of our environment. Now, I'm not a tree hugger, okay? But you know what? We're supposed to be stewards of this planet. We're supposed to take care of it. If we will take care of our planet, our planet will take care of us, okay? We'll have good air to breathe. We'll have clean water to drink. We'll have soil that, that doesn't make you sick. And, and you know what? The, 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 the heat from the sun will be just right. 
We've got to be good stewards. That environment sustains us and enables us to do everything we do. We're dependent. I mean, if, if let's just be honest. We're dependent on our environment. Whenever anyone leaves this environment and goes into space, they have to wear special suits. They have to be in a, in a special atmosphere. They have to, it's artificially created because that, that environment doesn't exist there. But on this planet, we have what we need. The last time we talked, which would have been a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the context. We talked about us being a part of a body. We're individuals, but yet we call it the church. We call it part of a body. And the body of, Je- uh, the body of Christ, we call it the church. We call it the bride of Christ. Jesus is the head. We're the body. But every one of us individually is a member of that corporate body. And in a, in a metaphorical sense, we're, we're specific body parts. And we, we talked about all of that. But it's important that we understand that we are a body in an environment. Okay? It's not enough just to be a body. The body has to live in a place. It has to live, live in an environment that will bring forth life. And so, you know, for us to, to do that and to hit on all cinders, cylinders as a church, as a body of Christ, we have, to, we have to function within the environment God created. Otherwise, spiritually speaking, you know what happens? We don't breathe properly. We don't regulate. Uh, it doesn't regulate our body temperature adequately. We can't find the nourishment that will keep us from starving. And without those necessary elements, what happens is the body turns on itself and it begins to devour and to destroy itself. In the wrong atmosphere, spiritual gifts become suicide grenades, okay? They really do. If the atmosphere is not right, they're not, they don't help. They hurt. In fact, they destroy if the atmosphere is out of whack. And so we're going to talk today about the, the proper atmosphere so that they function and they thrive. When the body refuses to breathe and, and flourish in the proper environment, it destroys itself. And you know what? The church has created all kinds of artificial environments throughout history. If you just will go back, okay, this would, I want you to understand your church history began with Jesus, all right? It didn't begin the moment you got saved. And there's a history that has brought us to where we are. Just like in your life, there's a history that has made you who you are and brought you to where you are today. There were events that took place. And what has happened is that the church has created all kind of artificial environments in an attempt to sustain spiritual life to, to, throughout history. I mean, we, we, the church started off there were apostles, and there were prophets, and there were evangelists, and there were pastors, and there were teachers. Well, you know what? That wasn't good enough. So they created bishops. And you know what the bishops did? The bishops gathered all of the power to themselves. And they elected one and called him the Pope. All right? They had a whole system of functioning priests who were supposed to be pastors, but, but most of them weren't. But we couldn't even read the scriptures. Over time, this, this congealed into what we would call Catholicism. There was one church, all right? One church. 
And it was the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church split. split. There was the, the Greek side, the Eastern side, the Western side that was based in Rome. But there was Catholicism. And then in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the 1500s, we got Protestantism. And, and, you know, we got Catholicism, Protestantism, and we got liberalism, we got legalism, we got evangel- evangelical, I can't even say that one, evangelicalism, and we got fundamentalism. We got all kind of isms. Those are all environments that people created. You do understand God did not create, okay? He did not create those systems. He gave us a plan. He gave us the Word of God to, to guide us, and we took His plan, and we took the Word of God, and we made all these systems, we made all these environments. But we didn't just stop with that. We, 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 we concocted and we crafted all kind of creeds and all kind of covenants and all kind of doctrines and all kind of practices, tenets of faith, and religious traditions. Because we're trying to stay alive. We're trying to, to breathe, okay? We're trying to breathe. Then we created endless programs. We spawned all kind of counterfeit personalities. And we made numerous grabs for political power. And we're still grabbing for political power. Okay? I, I, I don't want to chastise you, but I know a lot of you breathed a sigh of relief in the last election. You saw, and you know, at least maybe. Well, you know what? Unless God changes this nation, this nation will not change. And until the body of Christ wakes up and realizes that it's not going to come from political power, it's not going to be Democrat, Republican, Independent, Green Party, whatever party. It's going to be the church rising up and returning to Jesus Christ. And then God says, you know what, I'll move. I'll hear your prayers. I'll forgive your sins. And I'll, I'll turn, if you'll turn from your wicked ways, I'll heal your land. That's God's plan, okay? And so what we've done is we've created all these kind of environments. And, and we've invented countless worship styles and preaching styles and teaching styles. All of those things are environments. None of them, I want you to hear me, none of them are particularly wrong in and of themselves. But what happened is throughout history the church has turned from Jesus Christ to these systems and trusted in the system instead of the Savior. Happened and wondered why we're in a mess. And you know what happened when all these systems took place? Spiritual gifts kind of fell by the wayside. They didn't stop being there. They never ceased to exist. They were just grabbed up by certain offices. And they were put in a drawer and locked away. And a generation arose that never heard of spiritual gifts. Couldn't read. Couldn't write. Didn't know what the Bible said. Only heard what was taught. Folks, that's where we're at today. Okay? The Reformation changed that a little bit. We got the Word of God back. The problem is, very few Christians read the Word of God. Okay? If you don't read it, it doesn't help you. If you don't study it, you'll never know what it says. If all you do is come to hear a talking head tell you what it means, you'll never understand what God wants us to understand. And so what happens is we get into the wrong environment. And we don't breathe right. Our our temperature 
is not right. We don't eat right, and you know what happens? We don't reproduce. And we get smaller and smaller and sicker and sicker. If we would live in the environment that God created for us, we wouldn't just survive on this planet. We would thrive. And that's what God intended. He wanted us to thrive. He wanted us to flourish. There's something missing in a lot of churches. And, and, and it's very simple what it is. I've already, I've already said this in, in a couple of sermons before. Yet it's so profound and it's so basic and it's so fundamental that most of the time we don't even realize that it's missing. The environment's out of whack. We don't even know that. And most of us, when I, when I tell you what it is, most of us, you know, we would say, oh, no, that's not the case. And you might even want to argue about it, and you may think I may be even heretical, but the reality is we don't really love one another. Okay? We say we do. But we don't really love one another like Jesus loved us. I'm just... I'm, I'm, over and over and over, I, I, this, this passage comes to my, to my mind. The young man came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, Lord, what is the, what are the most important, what's the most important commandment? And, and Jesus said, well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Everything that you are, you love God with. And you love your neighbor like you love yourself. It's love. Whipshire. That's everything. It's love. We don't really love one another though. Love is the only environment that the body of Christ can function effectively and efficiently in. If that love is absent or it's diminished, the body kind of flounders. It, it, it kind of it turns to its, her own measures and, and she thrashes about. She ultimately suffocates. Have you, have you ever seen anybody that couldn't breathe? You ever had the breath knocked out of you? That's where we're at as the body of Christ. We've had the breath knocked out of us. We knocked the breath out of ourselves, okay? Fighting among ourselves. That love is not there. Jesus gave his body and his church. He gave them, if, 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 you, if you look in the New Testament, he gave them one commandment. This is what he said in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now he tells us how. What kind of love is that supposed to be? Even as I have loved you. So we're supposed to love each other like Jesus loves us. Now, I'm not a rocket scientist, okay? I didn't do really well at math. A few things I did okay at. But this is pretty simple. I know from reading scripture that Jesus loved us enough that he would lay everything he had down. He was God who sat on a throne in, I don't, I don't know the word exactly here, but light that you can't even look at. He was so bright. And yet he condescended and he took on human flesh. And if that weren't enough, he died for us. 
So the love that, that when he talks about us loving one another, like he loved us, it's the kind of love that is willing to put someone else first and even die for them or die to ourselves. He says, even as I have loved you, you also love one another that way. By this, by what? By the fact that we love one another like Jesus loved us, everybody else, all men, all women will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, the opposite of that's true. If we don't love one another, they won't know who we are. They won't know who we are. They won't know we belong. When, when God brought, brought those, the one sign, the one symbol. In the Old Testament, when, when God brought, brought those Egyptian slaves out, we call them Hebrews, we call them the Israelites, when he set them free from Egypt, he gave them a ton of commandments, right? I, I'm reading my Bible through this year. I'm almost to the end of Deuteronomy, Okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, try it one time. Read, read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The, God says the same thing over, over, and over, and over. He gave them rules. He gave them regulations so he could lead them out of slavery. And so they would become dependent on him. But in the New Testament, when Jesus set the slaves free, he gave them one commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus even prayed this in John chapter 17, verse 26. He says, and I have made your name known to them and and will continue to make it known that the love wherewith you did love me may be in them and I in them. In other words, he's going to give us the ability to love each other. He's going to be in us. So that, so that we can love one another. I don't have to work this up. It's a choice I make. It's a choice that, that I allow Jesus to come through me. So we're, we're not placed in this environment that I'm talking about. The environment of love has been placed in us. We carry the environment. See, I don't have to be in church. I don't have to be in the confines of a building that we would call a church to love each other. I can be on vacation at the beach. I can be at Walmart in the line that's not moving. <laughs> or in the line that has 25 people in it and 30 other registers are not open. But I can be in that line and carry that love with me. I can be at the courthouse dealing with people who really don't care if, if I ever get what I needed done. I can, I can be at work in a place that, that doesn't appreciate necessarily what I do. And doesn't pay me what I think I ought to get. But you know what? I can carry that environment of love there. I can be in school where, you know what? We can't pray. Out loud over the speakers. There's an issue with reading your Bible over the issue. But you know what? I can carry the the environment of Jesus' love there. And nobody can stop it. Why? Because it's not on me. It's not a t-shirt. It's in me. It's prescribed, written, inscribed on my heart. And so, what, what, okay, you either love, you have to live it out. You can't fake it, okay? You either love people or you don't. And you know what? They know it. <laughs> That's the thing. You can tell them how much you love them, but if you don't live it out and they don't see it, 
If they don't experience, they don't believe it. Love for one another is, is really the only environment that spiritual gifts can or will flourish in or under. They, they just won't work anywhere else. Any other atmosphere is artificial, and so it's a false atmosphere, and it's doomed. Most of the letters that, that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul, he wrote, whether you realize this or not, he wrote to bring correction. Okay? He just didn't sit down and said, you know what, I think I'll send a love letter to the Galatians today. Or the Corinthians, or the Romans. He, no, he wrote because there were issues. And they needed correction, they needed help, they needed encouragement. And so most of those letters that he wrote were to bring, bring correction where uh, error had erupted. Another way of saying it is, he's bringing correction where God's kind of, of, of atmosphere is out of balance. Where, where love has lagged and something else has taken its place. Much of what we know about spiritual gifts comes from Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. And specifically in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Three chapters in the whole New Testament. That's where most of the teaching that we have on gifts come. 84 verses. Okay? And as Paul writes this portion of the letter, he, he doesn't condemn, he doesn't restrict, he doesn't forbid the use of any gift, okay? He, he doesn't say, don't use this gift ever again. He never says that. I challenge you to find that in the New Testament. It's not there. I don't care what environment says it is, whether it's this side or this side, it's not there. He doesn't condemn it, and he doesn't, he doesn't forbid it. Rather, what he does is he brings definition. And he brings teaching, he brings correction, he brings order, and he reminds them of the environment that God created for them to function in. I, I don't think we realize how loosely organized the early church was, okay? We're used to driving down streets and down highways and down roads and seeing First Baptist this, uh, First United Methodist that, Pentecostal this, charismatic that, first Presbyterian, first whatever. We, we see all these churches, and they have a pastor. They have, they have leadership uh, that, that, that give them uh, direction. Some of them are involved in whatever. Nations that have leadership in it, very structured, very, very, you know, whatever. That wasn't necessarily the way it was in the early church. Paul went to these places. He preached the gospel. They got saved. He appointed a pastor. And he left. Okay? They had a little teaching. Some of them only had a few weeks, and some of them had several months. And so they begin to follow the Holy Spirit. They begin to listen to the Holy Spirit, and he began to guide them. And so the, the organization developed, is what I'm trying to say. And as it developed, you know what? They, they, they got a bone every once in a while. It didn't work, and so they got rid of it. If you study Scripture, you'll find there are two or three different ways to organize a church with leadership. They were free to choose what worked best for them. They, they, they had, they, they, over time, the, the, the Bible, over about 350 years, the, the Bible kind of coalesced, and, and it, it became the canon. There, but there were all kinds of books that had good stuff that they just did not put in scriptures, they deduced that it wasn't can canonical. I'm going to have to use the right words. They deduced that it wasn't, th that the Spirit had not inspired it to be Holy Scripture. Okay? 
But for the first 300 years, they didn't have all that. They had the Old Testament, and they had some letters. Okay? We, we, we don't realize that. So, so they're feeling their way through the Christian life. They're, they're realizing what happens when you get saved, and that old guy, that old girl is gone, and there's a new creature in its place, and God has given them the Holy Spirit, and they have the power to live the Christian life. They're figuring out how this works, all right? And so that's why Paul writes these letters. He's, he's, he, he's not frustrated with them. He's a father, Okay? That's what he is. He's an apostle, one who's been sent, one who established churches where there were no churches. And so he's sending these letters to his kids. Sometimes we read these things like, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt. That's not how we need to read them. We need to read them understanding that there was issues, that, that people just like us thought this was the right way, and no, this is the right way. And you know what happens when you get two people together that go to church, two Christians, you have three opinions, right? Whether they're Baptist, Presbyterian, or what. And so he writes this letter. There's, a, there's an issue. And the church was coming apart at the seams there in Corinthians because their love for one another was visibly absent. It wasn't because of gifts. All right? They had a whole bunch of other problems. They had a guy who was living with his father's wife. They had a a group who would show up on communion and drink all the wine and eat all the bread before anybody else got there. All right? They were going to court and suing one another. It was a, there was a constant thing of that. So there were all kinds of problems. It wasn't just spiritual gifts. But there was some issues with the gifts. I mean, they, they had gotten a, a couple of the gifts out of balance and were using them without love. And so Paul writes this letter. And... and I don't know if you, you understand this or not, but the original letter didn't have any chapters. It didn't have any verses. It was just a letter. And so, you know, it, it, it had become really, in Corinth, a kind of a free-for-all about me, my, and I. All right? We had kind of slipped out. And Paul writes this letter to bring we back and to get I off the throne. And so, in that original letter with no paragraphs and and no chap I mean no chapters and verses, just paragraphs. The chapter the verse I want to read is at the very end of chapter twelve. And then because it is, it, it seems like it goes in chapter twelve, but it really doesn't. It goes with with what we would call the paragraph in, in, that begins chapter thirteen. Listen to what he says. He 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 says, Look, here's the environment. These gifts are not going to work if the environment's not right. So sandwiched in the middle, he he puts a chapter between instruction and correction in 12 and 14. He puts chapter 13. Now, when we're debating these gifts and arguing over these gifts, we don't go to chapter 13 except to the very end or the very beginning to try to prove our point. Okay? I Listen... I was educated in what I'm going to share with you next Sunday. I could spout the party line. I understand it inside and out. 
It was necessary for me to get my degree to know that. And so what, what I share with you is not what I think, it's what I was taught. It's what the, is believed out there by one group. And the point is, is, is that whenever we get on spiritual gifts, we want to go to chapter 13, verse you know, 1 through 3 or 1 through 2, and then we want to drop down to, to after the first sentence in chapter 8, and we want to argue. Well, Paul, if we do, we miss the environment. We miss the oxygen. I mean, he comes up for a breath and says, you guys need to take a snort of air. All right? Not the stuff you've been breathing, but the real stuff. The kind God created to make this church grow. And I want you to listen to what he says here in, in, verse, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The latter, very last part in verse 31, he says this, And I will show you a still more excellent way. In other words, hey guys, there's a better way to do what you're doing. It's better. It's far greater. It's it's a way that's beyond all comparison. Let me let me put it let me put it in the language of what I'm trying to communicate today. What follows is the only environment spiritual gifts will flourish in. So let me show you the way of love. And then he, he, he digs in. And I, I want to give you another passage before we, we explore some of this this morning. But if we'll grab hold of this passage, it will guide us. It will, it will help us to embrace and experience and, and, and express the gifts of the Spirit. It, it, it really needs to become a part of our DNA. One that when we make disciples, we reproduce in them. Okay? The reality of it is, if that's not a part of my day, if that gene's not a part of me, when I reproduce myself, guess what? That gene's not there. That's in the natural and in the spiritual. I can only reproduce what I am. All right? You just look at your kids. All right? They've got characteristics like we, like mom has and dad has. Now, not everything is your fault, okay? I'm not saying that. Right, so don't don't let the devil jump on your back, start whipping you with a stick, okay? But guess what? More often than not, your kids will look like you. They'll say things like you say. Their mindset will be the mindset they grow up in. The diseases that families struggle with, they may likely have those diseases. That that's a part of, of the DNA. Okay, And if we don't have this DNA in us, we can't re- reproduce it in someone else. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, John says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is God, and the one who does not love everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and the one who does not love does not know God. Listen to this. For God is love you want to know what the definition of genuine love is it's God and all that he is it, it's, 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 it's who he is it's, the, it's one of the, the major characteristics the overriding characteristic of God everything God does he does out of love and so John says listen if you don't love you don't know God and that's kind of tough but Love, the kind of love that that God loves with, it creates an environment where we can function and we can do it effectively. 
It's not, it, the gifts don't prove anything. I want y'all to understand that. I don't care how powerful your gift is. It doesn't prove anything. If there's no love there. If that love is exhibited, then we function in whatever gift God has given us. It's not the power level. It's not the wow factor or what you can get done. The issue is, do I love others? Do I love my brothers and do I love my sisters enough to want what is best for them rather than what I want? Okay? That was the problem at Corinth. They didn't love each other enough. They wanted what they wanted. I've got this gift. I want it to be on stage. No, I've got this gift. I want it to be on stage. Instead of saying, you know what, brother, sister, I love you. I'm going to take my gift, and I'm just going to sit right here with the rest of the folks, and you exercise your gift. And we're going to rejoice in your gift. And we're going to bless God because of your gift. And we're going to see how God moves in this church when your gift is orchestrated. That's not what they did. What they did is they squared off nose to nose. All right? And one shouted and the other one shouted louder until you couldn't hear anything and the whole body was in chaos. Okay? You say, well, that doesn't help me anymore. Oh, yes, it does. Over and over and over. And these got jealous, and, and these got jealous, and these wouldn't talk to these, and they wouldn't talk to them. And all of a sudden, there was a church of factions. Well, I'm of this group, and I'm of this group, and I'm of that group. The church blew up. I want you to listen to what Paul says. I want you to hear it in the context of how he's writing. In 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 1 and 3, he says this, If I speak with tongues, if I speak with languages, that's the word there means language. If I speak with the languages of men or angels. In other words, if I can, can speak a language, whether it's heavenly or earthly, and you don't understand it, and I don't have any love, this is what he says, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal y'all know what a noisy gong is I'm going to show you I've wanted to do this all my life I'm not going to get comfortable because I probably won't come out now does that does that make any sense did that, was that any rhythm? I can tell you it was no rhythm because, I'll be honest with you, I can't even clap too long into a song unless the music leader is doing it so I can follow him because I don't have any rhythm. So I know that's not rhythm. That's just cymbals clanging, drums banging. They, they, they don't give any direction. They don't say anything. But when you have somebody that's gifted on that set of drums, they can make those drums talk. And not all of us know what they're saying. Because we're following. You know, we're, you know, we're bobbing and weaving. That's what Paul's saying. He says, you know what? Even if you, it's, it's angels speak, but you don't love, it's, it's, it's useless. It's useless. But he doesn't stop there, okay? We, most of the people who argue against certain gifts stop there. But he doesn't. He says this. But he says, and if I have the gift of prophecy... I have the gift of prophecy. In other words, I can hear what God says and I speak what God says. 
if I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and I have all knowledge, I, I, all of a sudden I'm getting words of wisdom here and words of knowledge, which are happen to be spiritual gifts. Then he adds another, if I have all faith, in other words, if I'm doing signs and wonders, and I, you know, I can believe God from that mountain gets up and moves. So as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am no thing. I am nothing. Now this is the Apostle Paul writing under the Holy Spirit, which means this is the Holy Spirit who's talking. God is talking. I don't care. What he's saying is, I don't care if you've got the gift of prophecy. I don't care if you have the, a word of wisdom. I don't care if you have a word of, of knowledge. I don't care if you have the gift of tongues. I don't care if you possess all the faith needed to move mountains. If you don't love people, it's nothing. <laughs> nothing. Then he goes into a couple which... We don't really understand these because we never talk about these. But if you read early church history, you understand it better. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor. In other words, if I'm willing to give everything. I've got the gift of giving. And I'm willing to give everything I've got to, to feed the poor. I mean that, buddy, that raised you up in the early church. You had some clout if that was you. Or... If I deliver, deliver my body to be burned. In other words, if I'm willing to be a martyr. I'm willing to, when they say, hey, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. You can do whatever you want to me. All my brothers and sisters, run for your life. I'll die for y'all. That, that's, what, that's what Paul's saying. It's the gift of martyrdom. It's, it's the gift of, of, of service here. He says, if, if, even if I do that, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. It's worthless. It gains nothing with God. Are y'all tracking with me or am I just getting excited on my own here? Okay. What he's saying is you can have the most amazing gifts. You can do outstanding miracles. You can make sacrifices that astonish and shock people. And you can still do those things in your own selfish flesh. All right. We, we can. And if you do them in your own selfish flesh without love, regard enduring eternal effect. That's not what I say. That's what God says. You know what? Here's the reality of spiritual gifts. Some people are wowed and impressed. And I'm only going to use these two categories one time because I don't really like categories. But to communicate what I'm trying to do this morning. Some people are wowed and impressed by some of the speaking gifts and some of the miracle producing gifts. I mean, they, they just get all beside themselves. They get goosebumps when those things start to take place. And when people are wowed and when people are impressed, they pour out their adulation and their appreciation and people with those kind of gifts get noticed. Okay? That's just human nature. Alright? Amen? If you see somebody and do something you can't do, you pay attention, don't you? We all do that. But the problem arises when the person who has those gifts, begins to use them to get the adulation, to get the popularity, and to, and to, to, to gather in the power that it brings. And all of a sudden, the use of those gifts became a means to an end. Oh, you're the prophet. You're the prophet. You're the prophet. You're the apostle. You're, you, you know, you, what's it like to talk to God? 
And, and I'm, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, okay, because I've heard this stuff. I have heard it, and most of you have too. But what happens is all of a sudden, those gifts become a means to an end so that that person can gain acceptance and identity and validation. And you know what? Those needs are powerful. They make us do strange things. When I, when I feel like I, I, I need to be needed, or I need to be validated, or I need to be accepted, I'll do crazy things sometimes. And, and, and every one of you will too. But if we're not careful, we can drive, those things can drive us to satisfy those needs by illegitimate means. And if it's an illegitimate mean, it will never satisfy it. That's why it always has to get bigger and better. That's why drugs never satisfy. That's why alcohol never satisfies. It can only meet the need for a while, and there's got to be more and more and more. It's the same with pats on the back and, 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 and words of affirmation and all that kind of stuff. Folks, that's not the point of spiritual gifts that that's not what god gave them to us they were given to enable us to demonstrate experience the love to one another and to those out there who have yet to experience the love of god okay they were to be used in the context of the body whether it's in our worship whether it's in our service whether it's in our evangelism whatever it is every one of those gifts are given for the purpose of building up another person's faith they're to encourage us. I'm going to tell you what. I don't know where Billy was going this morning when he started the story about the dog, okay? Wasn't sure. But when he got to the end, I heard God speak to Nelson. That encouraged me. It encouraged me not to go digging around stuff because I've got somebody that, that, that likes to follow me around and says, Hey, remember that? Remember that? Remember that? Remember that? But I'm following somebody who says, you know what, I've put all that behind me. So I've got to determine who I'm going to listen to. So that was an encouragement. That, that was right out of God's mouth. In a way, I could understand it. Now, it may have offended some of you, but, but it was understandable for me. It was, it was a story like Jesus would have told. All right? And it was simple and to the point. It was a sermon in, a, in, a, in just a matter of moments. You know, the problem is perhaps we really don't know what true love is. We, we don't really understand God's kind of love. We talk about it. I, I, I know we love each other, but do we really love each other like Jesus loves me? I know how you can tell when something goes wrong. You can tell if there's genuine love or not. Just listen. You mess something up, you'll know if there's love or not. So we need to look a little closer. And we're going to do that, and then we're going to finish up. We need to look a little closer at what kind of, of environment love produces. What, what kind of love is necessary? What, what kind of love is this that Jesus is talking about? And, and when we get to verse 4 in chapter 13, through the very first part of of verse 8. Paul sums it up. This is this is this is uh scripture that you will hear more often than not at a wedding. This is not about a wedding. Okay? 
This is, these are the words to stop a war within a church. Okay? These are words that bring peace. These are words that, 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 that quell anger and soothe hurt feelings and those kind of things. Listen to what he says. Love is patient. I'm tempted to ask, do we have any patient people in the house? All right? The very first thing, love is patient. That means when it's on my last nerve, I need to have four or five more nerves to stretch out there. All right? My last nerve is not very far from my first nerve. And, and I doubt that's, that's different than you. But he says, love is patient. Then he says, love is kind. It's not jealous. It's not jealous. Doesn't brag. And that's what they were doing at Corinth. We are a part of this group. We're more spiritual than you because we have this gift or that gift. Doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. I'm going to tell you what, when you start to brag, you've already become arrogant. All right? You're supposed to be humble. And you know what? When you think you're humble, you've already become arrogant. All right? I'm just being honest. Humility is one of those things we chase. All right? We just, we chase it. We constantly chase it. When we think we finally arrived there, God says, no, you're not humble. We got more work to do. And, and he works on us. But what happens is, is if we're not careful, we become arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. There's a, I got I to gotta check this one before I say this one. I'm trying to think of a nice way to say it. My father had another way of saying it. What acting unbecomingly means is you don't show your, I don't know how to say it, so I'm not going to. Y'all know what I'm saying, don't you? Yeah, that's it. I'll let somebody else say it. You just don't show, you just don't do that. Mine. I, I, want, I want what I deserve. You don't, it doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. Doesn't take into account. A wrong suffered. In other words, it doesn't file away when their feelings get hurt. Just blows on by. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then he then he says that love never fails. Love, no matter the situation, when you have a true friend that you truly love, you know what, you won't, you won't watch them do stupid stuff without telling them. But you know what, you won't hold that stupid stuff against them. You'll still love them in spite of the fact that they did it. Okay. That's the kind of friendship we are supposed to enjoy with one another because that's the kind of friendship God enjoys with each of us. When God puts something, when we ask Him to forgive us and He puts it behind Him, He chooses no longer to ever remember it again. It's not that He forgets it. 
All right? It's that he makes a choice that, you know what? I'm not going to look back. That's past. So love believes, it hopes, it endures all things. It never fails. Genuine love perseveres because it's permanent. It, it doesn't end regardless of what happens. It, it's not based on feelings or how, you know, how I feel today or how you feel today. It's a choice we make over and over and over and which chooses to elevate the object of, of, of our love. Okay? It's not about me. It's about the object that I love. And I've chosen to love them. You know what? It loves when somebody gets it wrong. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. Most of the time, y'all don't know it. But I, there are times when I say things that are wrong. When we hit a wrong note up here. When we sing a wrong note. When we flash the wrong thing on the screen. We all make mistakes. We all do things that are wrong. But you know what? Genuine love doesn't get fixated on that. It just happens. Listen, I've served with pastors that went ballistic because the words on the screen didn't match the words that we were singing. Or the passage didn't get up quick enough or, or go down quick enough. That's nuts. That's about them. That's not about us. We. You know, I'm, I'm a little more laid back, okay? And I'll talk about that maybe in a few weeks. But it's not by mistake or they get it wrong. It's not based on how you feel. It, it, it's, you know, when, when somebody makes a mistake or they get it wrong or they make a mess, it doesn't tear them down. It, 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 you know, it, it doesn't destroy them. It, 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 it never tears down whether the thoughts, the words, or the deeds were right or wrong. It builds, it, it encourages, it elevates, it enhances. We are all headed to the same house. And we are going to be there for eternity. And God bless you. If you got it all together, there's a few of us that need some help to get there. We're limping, so help us out, okay? Love us enough to help us out. Love us enough to pick us up because we've fallen. Love us enough that when we make a mistake and you realize we've made one, just help us up and, and give us some encouragement and show us how to do it right. You know what? If I'm doing it wrong and I think I'm doing it right, I'm going to continue to do it wrong. I need somebody that loves me enough to say, Nelson, whoa, 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 whoa. If you'll do it this way, this will happen. Oh, you're kidding me. No. Man, thank you. And all of a sudden, I'm not doing it wrong anymore. I'm doing it right. See, you can take that to as far of extreme as you want to. I can't be the most important person in the world if I possess the kind of love I'm talking about. Die and every one of us has to die and it has to stay dead for that kind of love to flourish, for, for the kind of love that God has to flourish. Otherwise, as these gifts manifest and we develop a, a, a protocol for using them in the life of our church, here's what's going to happen. Okay, I want you to listen to me. If, if you hadn't heard a word I've said, listen to me just a moment or two. Because if we don't have this kind of love, here's what's going to take place. Some of you are going to get impatient. All right? You're moving too fast. You're moving too slow. Some of you are going to be unkind. I don't like that. I'm not comfortable with that. Well, you know what? You need to get over it. 
I'm I'm using the unkind people. I'm not saying that, okay? Uh, That's not what I'm saying. Some of us are going to get jealous. Well, you know what? I don't have that gift. My gift doesn't manifest like that. Others are going to begin to brag about my gift. And you know what will happen? Arrogance will settle in. And some will begin to behave selfishly and irresponsibly. And some will get angry and they'll get vocal and they'll hold grudges. And others will rejoice. At the ridic- and they'll ridicule when somebody fails or, or when somebody comes up short. And all of a sudden lies and slander and gossip will spread. And truth will be lost, and tempers will flare, words will be said, wounds will be inflicted, love will vanish, factions will develop, fellowship will be destroyed, and this church will cease to exist. Okay? That's what happens when when you venture into spiritual gifts, and you don't have the environment of love to live in. All right? God never created spiritual gifts to exist in a vacuum. He created them to, to, to exist in the context of a body that lives in the environment of love. All right? Without love, spiritual gifts, they don't have any environment to flourish in. If genuine love does not permeate this body, and it causes all of us to realize that the welfare of my brother or my sister is far more important than the exercise of whatever gift I have. I'm not willing to say, you know what? God, me and you will exercise this gift whenever you tell me to, wherever you tell me to. But Lord, I'm going to limit myself right here because, you know what? I don't want to hurt my brother. I don't want to hurt my sister. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about just because they don't understand your gift. I'm saying, I've got a heart of love. You know what? I love steak. And maybe you're a vegetarian and it offends you. your bean sprouts and your broccoli. And I'm going to smile like I love it. And I'm going to do it because I love you. All right? Let's just bring that back to the spiritual gift thing. Maybe you don't understand it. Maybe you're, you're, you're not there yet. Maybe it fries. You know what? I'm not going to jump on up in your face and use my gift. Okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tone it down a little bit till God brings you to a place. And he brings the body to a place that that gift can be experienced and that gift can, can be shared and, and people understand it and they recognize it and they're edified by it. That's going to take us a little while, okay? If you're terrified, relax a little bit, okay? And if you're ready to get there so that can happen, just rein back a little bit. We're all going to get there together. These Every gift, and I've said this, I believe every gift is for today. I believe it's for the church. And by that, I mean for this church. We just have to figure out how God is going to implement that and the protocol he's going to use to to make that happen. But my gift can't be more important than your gift. Okay? I can't be the most important person in the church. It's not about me. It's about we. And you know what? The kind of love I'm talking about is far easier to talk about than it is to walk in. Let me give you a short illustration. I'm not going to say much more because I need to finish up. Right now in our country, there is the side that's against everything that's going on on the other side. And 
two months ago, that side over here flip-flopped over here. They were against everything that was going on here. All right? It's no different. It's just different names. Folks, that's the church. We have to be very careful that it's not all about me, my, and I, and what I want. It's about what the Spirit of God wants. Because the Spirit of God will lead us where we need to get very quickly and very calmly if we'll just follow Him. If we'll commit ourselves to living out this kind of love, God will provide the perfect environment for the gifts of the Spirit to function. All right? We'll be breathing the right air. And the fear and the insecurity and the shame and the uncertainty and the ignorance and the arrogance will all be eradicated. When something is in a place, well, let me put it this way. When something is out of its natural environment in another environment, if there's nothing defeated, it dies. All right? In the church, if the environment is love, you know what? Shame will die because there's no air for it to breathe. Arrogance will die because there's no place for it. It will smother out on its own. If we'll just allow God to lead us, He'll take care of those things. And what will happen is this church will become an incubator. And it will become a greenhouse for producing uh, uh, people that host the Holy Spirit. People that are are Spirit-filled and people that are gifted by the Spirit. If we make a choice to walk in the environment of love, God will take care of the how, He'll take care of the when, He'll take care of the where, and He'll take care of whatever the power level is that, that He needs in this body. All right? If we'll leave His stuff to Him, and we'll take care of making sure I love, I keep a check on that love, then God will take care of the rest of it. But you know what? It's up to you. And it's up to me to surrender to the kind of love I'm talking about. It's up to us to nurture it. It's up to us to guard it. No matter what happens. And that's the kind of choice that, you know what, I can't make for you. I can't make it for anybody else but me. You have to make it for you. you have, it's an individual choice. Are we going to be a part of this kind of environment? If we are, then the time has come to walk it out instead of talk about it, okay? The time to talk is behind. The time to walk in it has come. That's the decision you got to make, okay? It's individual. Let's pray. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.